It's time for JT the Brick. The years are ticking off, JT. <laughs> it doesn't matter who you're playing. You know, you got to show up. you got to play at the highest level. You're not going to win in this league. JT the Brick. Hey, Raider Nation, let that sink in. Since 2018, he has 25 interceptions. Raider fans go crazy around here when a guy gets two for the entire season. Anytime, JT. And uh, hi to all my uh, Raider fans out there. And go Raiders. And now... Here's JT the Brick. Welcome back. Hour number two of the show. JT on a windy day in Vegas. If you were looking to play golf the last two days, you did not play golf. And if you did, you're you're a mercenary. You want to play sports in the elements. Hey, golf is a sport. Hey, sometimes it's going to be cold. It could be windy. You don't quit the sport by playing in it today with this wind. It is crazy where I'm hosting the show from my home today. Hope everyone's doing well. Raiders gathered as a team for the first time with Josh McDaniels yesterday. Vinny Bonsignor wrote all about it. 98% attendance rate. Derek Carr coming in when the sun was down. It was pitch black at 5 in the morning or so. Everybody else was there. Everybody you wanted. Tight end Darren Waller. Hunter Renfro, who were also due contracts, were in attendance. And how about Chandler Jones and Devontae Adams? It's the strength and conditioning portion. The Raiders will transition into phase two of the program, a three-week period that includes on-field workouts down the road here. So get everybody in there, everybody meet, everybody get in the weight room, everybody work out and be in shape. I don't think that's going to be a problem this year. Matter of fact, one of the challenges that the Raiders will have this year is they have the extra preseason game as we'll all be, hopefully, many of us will be with Cliff Branch, as Cliff Branch's family will be there, and Cliff will be there in spirit in Canton, Ohio. I wanted to remind everybody of that, too, with fuel prices going up and the travel prices. It's insane to travel. I got a couple of trips coming up. I'm going back east to a college reunion. My wife and I are going to take off for a little bit this summer, and it's insane to travel now. And with everybody who's traveling to Vegas, I I threw this topic out, and I wanted to give you a topic to bite on today because no one's talking Raiders. Again, unless you want me to have a a gossip fight between a cornerback and a safety and make something up. It is all quiet today on the Raider front. Last night on my show, I talked about the sports economy. And I can't believe how many people are coming to Vegas and how expensive it is. I talk to my family and friends all the time in New York. I say, when are you coming out? And then they look for flights, and they're like, what's going on out there? I go, what do you mean? It goes, people tell me all the time it used to be 275 round trip, used to be 400 round trip. Now it's 1,200. It's 1,000. And look, I know you have travel agents and ways and you have points. I get it. But the sports economy of what we know today with inflation and what's happening with fuel costs and the fact that pilots and flight attendants and people that work at airports and do such a great job are calling in sick due to COVID. There's just lack of staffing. People don't want those jobs anymore. How about that? People used to love those jobs. People don't want them anymore. People don't want the chaos of working in an airport and working security and dealing with it that a lot of these flights are canceling, routes are coming down. And how is it affecting you? I think this is a really important Raider topic as you get set for your travel plans ahead. I should put Gorilla Rilla on the show, Bobby. Remind me to get him on. He'd be good for this. Because he goes to every game. I don't know how you do it. Some of you Raider fans go to every game. It's incredible. And then many Raider fans are coming to Vegas. And as much as, you know, I love Vegas. And I'm always trying to give you a hookup with our partners here and what we're doing. 
But if you're going to get a hotel room in Vegas and you're going to pay for these tickets and you're going to pay for dinners and food, or if you're driving here with the price of gas, I'm aware of that. That's a, that's a pain in the ass going forward with these price points. So you really need the most dedicated fans to be smart and in advance. So Raider fans this year have a trip to Canton, which is an important trip for Cliff Branch and Mark Davis and Cliff's family. It's a big trip, and it's going to cost money to get there. And Canton's not easy to get to, depending on where you're coming from. But you fly, if you're flying into Cleveland, renting a car, getting there, it is not easy. But I go all the time, and I make it work. And then Raider fans have trips. I know Raider fans were asking me about Jacksonville, New Orleans, some of the trips that I've been on in the past, which I love. And I don't know what our schedule is going to be like this year on the team broadcast. But I'd like to travel a little bit more this year with the team on the road if there's a chance to do that. And for you Raider fans, how are you going to do it? How are you going to buy the tickets when the schedule is announced? It used to be race, race, race and buy the tickets because you want to make sure you can go. Now it's trying to find if it hits your price point on the road. So Raider fans got some big decisions to make coming up this year on the road because the Raider fans who have season tickets and pay for those season tickets, they're not cheap. And you want to be able to go on a couple of road trips this year. I mean, it wasn't like the old days. I remember the Knicks. The Knicks in the 90s. I was living out west. If the Knicks were on the road, I'd just buy a plane ticket. Southwest was like 140 bucks round trip. I'd go see them. I'd spend 80 bucks for a ticket. I'd be in the game. In the game. I don't know how fans do it nowadays. College football, college basketball, the NCAA tournament, the sports economy and world. Also, not to be doom and gloom because there's no need for a mask here. But there's a mask mandate in Philadelphia. And there's a mask mandate and a lockdown going on in Shanghai. And a lot of times when things happen to the east of us, it ends up coming our way. And how will that affect us coming up this year? Hopefully it's not a big deal. But it's something people are talking about now in and around Philadelphia with the mask mandate as they are hosting games in the NBA playoffs. One of their players, Thibault, can't play in Toronto because he's not vaccinated. And he's going to get a lot of media coverage, wink, wink, coming up here. NFL draft is going to be, I hope, I hope you enjoy it because we're going to do a lot of NFL draft talk. I got a guest coming up. He's supposed to call in here in a few minutes. Uh, let me double check with Bobby. Brad Spielberger, that's who it is from Pro Football Focus, is supposed to check in. Raider fans, I don't know how much of analysis you want on the first round without a first round pick. But you're going to get it from me. We got to do it. We can't pretend that the Raiders are not involved in the draft. Well, we got to talk the NFL draft and it's coming. Could the Raiders trade up in the second round? I don't think they should trade up into the first round. After giving up the draft equity to get Devontae Adams, why give up more? Well, would they have to give up more to go from the third to the second if they like a player? If they love a player in the second round, go for it. If not, just take the best available player that is there. And I said I'd lead this hour. It looks like Daniel Snyder could be out as the owner. I think he will be out. That's the way I'm analyzing this. According to the Associate, uh, Associated Press, the U.S. House Oversight Committee, Congress, sent a letter to the Federal Trade Commission saying it found evidence that the Washington commanders engaged in unlawful financial conduct, which is another way of saying fraud. The AP got the letter. The committee said the team withheld ticket revenue from visiting teams, and refundable ticket deposits from season ticket holders. Now, the refundable ticket deposits for the season ticket holders, they can deal with that. They can pay their season ticket holders 
they can make them whole and they could give them a jacket and they could give them whatever they want, free drinks, whatever they want to do. You can't go back to other owners around the league, Daniel Snyder, and look him in the eye ever again. If he's ripping off the other owners, the other owners are going to vote him out and they will have no problem getting two-thirds of the vote. So I, th- I expect, this is just my opinion, I don't think that Daniel Snyder will be the owner of the Commanders when they play their next game. I believe he will be removed as the owner of the Commanders sooner than later before the start of the season. The Commanders are denying that they will withheld ticket revenue. Good luck doing that with the Associated Press and Congress. So that's the big NFL story. As we get going this hour on Raider Nation Radio, brought to you by our great friends at Modelo with the fighting spirit. We're ready to we'll be with Modelo on the Thursday of the draft coming up here at the end of the week. Brad Spielberger, kind enough to join us from Pro Football Focus. He's a draft analyst, also handles the salary cap. Really sharp guy. Brad, good to talk to you again. And I noticed I was looking at your timeline here. You were tweeting a lot about the USFL. I'm an XFL guy. Tell me what's so great about the USFL and if you're going to tune in again. Oh, I'm an XFL guy as well but, uh, before I jumped to the USFL. But, um, you know, I think I'm just addicted to all football in general. I love the idea of spring football. Um, but, yeah, you know, I think the USFL has some interesting rules. They're going, the way they're going about it, their draft approach was interesting. You know, I'm obviously big into team building and all that, but definitely excited for the XFL next year as well. Yeah, I like what we're seeing with the USFL and the chain and hopefully getting rid of the chain so we can see that in the NFL going forward. What is your big picture on how one of these leagues are going to stick? They, they, they come in with money, resources, and both are funded really well now from The Rock with the XFL to the USFL and their television partners. It's so critical that fans watch after the first couple of weeks because – you know, evidence shows that it trails off and people forget about it if they don't really get behind it. 100%. I think the thing you mentioned is a big part of it is being the testing ground for some of these different rules. We saw with the XFL, they obviously had the Sky Judge and some of those things. You mentioned with the USFL, I agree. Putting a chip in the football and testing out you know, the first downs, being through that, as opposed to guys standing on the sideline with the chains and just Trying all these new methods, these new rules, these new approaches, I think that's how you keep people interested because, as you're saying, maybe if it works out well, then they transfer over to the NFL. The other big thing, I think, is they need to have a true connection to these clubs where we saw a lot of these guys in the AAF and the XFL end up back in the NFL. Taylor Heineke obviously started for the full season for the Washington Commanders. A lot of these guys will jump back, but I think they need to – kind of create a real connection where we understand that the NFL teams are scouting these guys or watching this film and maybe we'll sign these guys in the near future. Yeah, I agree with you. So you don't believe Brad Spielberg is our guest. You don't believe that you need huge name recognition, right? You don't need players past their prime coming there or, you know, players who just want to bypass a college year and go in there. It doesn't have to be about star power. It's got to be about player development and selling this and making this grow naturally and organically in all these cities so it catches on. And it has to work on television. If it doesn't pop on TV and they're showing me empty seats and no one there, I'm out. I'm with you 100%. Yeah, no, it's got to work on TV, like you said, for more than just the first couple weeks. You can't have everyone kind of get bored with it. I think, again, the leagues have tried to have different sideline approaches. I loved, I think it was the XFL that interviewed players right down on the field. 
But yeah, mm-hmm. they kept the FTC really busy with those interviews. But uh, yeah, you got to have a lot of creative ways to keep people engaged. Um, you know, not just folks like myself that'll probably watch any football you put on my TV. Brad Spielberger, Pro Football Focus. PFF launches a really special project with the projected number one overall pick, Aiden Hutchinson, titled Hutch, on PFF's YouTube channel and wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to check out Hutch, a story that dives into Aiden's childhood, his early years at Michigan, and his incredible 2021 season. So I read your entire mock draft, and I saved it, and I'm holding it because I'm anchoring a draft out here coverage, and I like what you're doing. You, you, I, did you feel pressured mentally that you had to provide trades? Because when I do a mock draft right before then, I know there's going to be trades, but I don't know where they're going to be. So I technically always leave them out. How did you decide? Because you have five trades there that you'd like to see. Yeah, so I'm kind of different than the other folks. So I do start watching the prospects. I have been watching film for about two weeks now, and I will continue that all day through the draft. But I'd be lying to you if I told you I was watching tape all through the college season. And so for me, I think my biggest contribution to this discourse is, like you said, there are going to be trades. So I understand and I respect why most people just make 32 picks, makes total sense. You map out positions that fit and all that. But I like to try and predict it. Obviously, quarterback needy teams will be the teams that you first want to target, you know, at the top and the bottom of the first round. But, yeah, that, that's what I love to do is looking at historical trades so you get a, a good idea of the value and all those types of things. Yeah, I think the hook to this draft is going to be the Jets and the Giants holding on to their picks, keeping one or trading back, right? Because both of those teams have struggled, and there's a reason why they have this draft equity early at the top of the draft there. So if they go backwards – don't you think a lot of their fans are going to say, you know, these teams stunk for the last couple of years to acquire high draft picks, which are better players. And if you move back for whatever reason for more resources, a lot of those fans aren't going to get it because it's going to be like almost like they're stalling to be good and they're going to want to have more draft equity either later in the draft or over the next com- coming years. How do you see those two teams? Yeah, I totally hear you there. You know, I think for the Jets specifically, now that that regime has been there for a couple of years, obviously, like you said, they've been very bad. This 10th overall pick the Jets have is because they you know traded Jamal Adams to the Seattle Seahawks. So they also have picked 35 and 38 in the second round. So you can maybe make an argument. You don't need to stockpile more capital. Why don't you make two top 10 selections? But I do. I think both clubs are going to be shopping 7 and 10. I think they'll make their picks at 4 and 5 but I think they'll be aggressively shopping 7-10. and 10. As for the Giants, um, I'm sure their fans are very impatient. They're very you know, tired of the losing, but I think this new regime wants to build a consistent, sustainable contender. Um, and I think shopping the number 7 pick for a, a quarterback needy team that maybe wants to jump ahead of the Atlanta Falcons at 8, jump ahead of the Seattle Seahawks at 9, I think that is a very smart move for a, you know, a team that does not have a lot of resources, does not have, have a lot of good young players, I think they should be shopping that pick pretty aggressively. Brad Spielberger is our guest. In your mock draft that came out today, you have uh, Trayvon Walker of Georgia going two to Detroit and Kayvon Thibodeau dropping to number three with the Texans. Detroit's got to nail this. They've reached on some of their draft picks the last couple of years, and they've got to get this right here. Uh, What was the decision with Walker over Thibodeau? Yeah, you know, I think they like that bigger size on the outside. You know, the guys they've added along the edge are bigger body guys. I am a big fan of Kayvon Thibodeau. He is smaller, though. He's kind of an undersized outside linebacker type. I'm not sure he's a great fit in Detroit. And then also, it's just, look, when you're a bad team like Detroit, as everyone's been talking about, Walker, I'm not going to call him a project, but 
He's a freak athlete that maybe takes some time to switch to a new position. Everyone I see keeps comping him to, to, to all sorts of people. I think he's like Rashawn Gary to me, where he kind of mm. played him out of position a little bit in college. Green Bay brings him in, does not really do much at all his rookie season, but now last year had, I want to say, 85 pressures, had one of the, the better edge rushers in the NFL last year. Once they got his body composition right, put him in a role they liked for him. That's the exact same scenario I see with Javon Walker. All right, Brad. What I also find interesting with what you have here also, and it's great work when I look at the Saints. So you have the Saints uh, moving up to number seven with the Giants here. And before that, you have Kenny Pickett, the quarterback from Pittsburgh, going to Carolina. I don't have a problem with that. I think there's always a run on quarterbacks. You know, a month ago, I was listening to, I don't know if it was Mel Kuyper or other draft experts saying these quarterbacks were mid to late first round picks. And then the same thing always happens. Teams go freak out because they think there's two quarterbacks in the first round. And if you got a pick, you might as well get them before you lose them. So was that your philosophy on the run on the quarterback, especially having the trade to go up and get a quarterback at number seven for New Orleans? 110%. Yeah, I think these guys are not actually this talented. I probably would not recommend taking them this early. But like you said, this is what happens every single year. You know, maybe it's a couple outlier seasons, but we see this time and time again. And I think we could see the same thing happening again in two weeks. Yeah, it's, it's, so I like what you said. Not many guys have the guts to say that. So, in theory, you don't like Malik Willis at number seven. And you probably want him later in the draft, but you think the fact that that – why is that such a priority for New Orleans considering Jameis is young? And I know that they, they want to get – Sean Payton's not there anymore, but it, doesn't that mean they're not committing to Jameis Winston? What more do we need to see from Jameis to think that they need a quarterback that high and they got to trade up and give a lot to get him? Yeah, no, it's a fair question. He's definitely not an older player, but it's funny that he's a 2015 number one overall pick, and I'm about to say this, but, mm-hmm. you know, he's not super mobile. He doesn't really fit kind of today's NFL. Not that every guy needs to be a guy that can use his legs as a weapon. He can occasionally escape the pocket and kind of dance out of pressure and make some things happen, but he is kind of your stereotypical pocket passer, at least in an ideal scenario, coming off the torn ACL. You know, he won some games last year, but really was not productive. If you go back and watch some of that film, kind of just, you know, good for him that he was taking what the defense gave him as opposed to throwing 30 interceptions like he did back in Tampa Bay. Um, I just, you know, the contract he got is, is a bridge quarterback contract. It said nothing to me that they were going to, you know, if the right opportunity struck that they were not going to take a quarterback. I don't think his contract prevents it at all. Yeah, and you didn't go crazy up early in, the, in your mock draft at the receiver position, which I liked about that. I believe Garrett Wilson out of Ohio State uh, going number eight to Atlanta. So you, you obviously, we all know that there's a lot of good first-round wide receivers here, but you didn't jump in and stack the front end of this in, in early on. You think uh, teams will be patient and take the best receiver when they get there? Is that what I'm reading? Yeah, I think Wilson kind of should have some separation from the rest of the guys. That's at least how I see it. I'm sure I could end up being wrong on that. Look, I'm a huge fan of Jamison Williams, but coming off a torn ACL, yes, he had a great season. He's got elite speed. But, you know, was the wide receiver four for Ohio State and had a transfer to Alabama just to get on the field this season. And then Drake London out of USC, this one I'm probably against consensus. He's a really good big-body guy. But, you know, we've seen time and time again – when, you're, when your main trait is you're a contested catch jump ball wide receiver, which I'm not going to say is all he's good at, but it is, if you ask an analyst what is the best thing he does, that's going to be the answer, that's kind of a red flag. I mean, that's, that's the Keel Harrys of the world. I mean, those are the guys 
that have that same, you know, that's their number one trait. And then I'm a big Chris Olave guy. I have him going 21. Um, you know, the Arizona Cardinals making a move up to get him. I think they need a wide receiver desperately in this draft. But, you know, big fan of his, but played all four years of college, a great route runner, very, you know, technical. But maybe he's kind of grown as much as, you know, there's not going to be a lot of room for more growth there. Brad Spielberger, as we wrap it up, other than the Jets and the Giants, we met, um, mentioned and have those high draft picks. And, of course, Jacksonville, because they did a lot in the offseason and free agency. What team have you been hearing about that you just think could be super aggressive, either getting more picks in the first round or maybe moving up in the first round? Any, any ideas of a team that you're just very bullish on is going to come into Vegas and really make a statement in the first round? Yeah, you know, I think the Seattle Seahawks at nine are a very interesting team mm. there. Uh, they are obsessed with trading down. It's been their philosophy for a very long time, particularly early in the draft in the first and second. They believe in stockpiling capital and trying to add more players. Um, they've not had a lot of draft success recently, so maybe they do say, look, we got to stick at number nine and just take a good player. But based on how the board falls in the first eight picks, maybe there's not a guy they think is wor- you know, worthy of a top ten pick. They have, I think, the worst offensive line in football. I think they have a bottom. You know, their cornerback room is one of the worst in football. And honestly, their defensive line is not too special either. They have so many needs on this roster that I just think it makes sense, even though they do have the two second-round picks um, you know, because of the trade with the Denver Broncos. I, I just see them continuing to stockpile more and more capital. Uh, finally, who do you think had the biggest offseason? I know it's a big general question, but Devontae Adams here in Vegas – uh, to see all the teams that were very active, Green Bay lost a couple of good players. You know, winning the off season is a big topic this time of year. Who did you think won the off season so far in the NFL? You know, I think the Los Angeles Chargers had a very good off season. Mm-hmm. I, I think they were able to add at some of their biggest holes. I think they needed a true number one cornerback. Went out and got J.C. Jackson. I think the trade for Khalil Mack is huge. Not only to give a good pass rusher opposite Joey Bosa, but an underrated run defender that can set the edge. And they just got killed and just gashed against the run last year. I think he will neutralize that to an extreme degree. And then I love the addition of Sebastian Joseph Day, the nose tackle on the interior. They just fixed, in my opinion, their biggest issues. They kept a lot of their good players um, without breaking the bank. I think they had a great offseason. Thank you, Brad. We'll take a look at the podcast, also the YouTube channel for Hutch. Thanks a lot for doing this. Yeah, please do. Thank you. You got it, Brad Spielberger, as one of the many that we have here on Pro Football Focus and the job that they're able to do. And as you look through this draft here, it's going to be very interesting. Who trades back? Who wants the quarterbacks, the run on the wide receivers? And I'm a believer this year, if you need a wide receiver, if you need a wide receiver, go up and get the wide receiver. Over the last couple of years, we've seen some wide receivers have an impact and blow away these records and do some great things so if you need a receiver and you're one of the teams three or four teams and there's six receivers going in the first round find the one you want and go and trade up and get them instead of hoping that that receiver falls to you and I'm not a big believer in offensive linemen unless they're super elite in the first round I've been saying that my entire career if you're going to go look for an offensive lineman in the third fourth fifth round you got to get lucky you got to be really good with scouts getting the right player, and then hope they have the ability not going in the first round or high in the first round to be a really good player that can start on a team. If you're drafting an offensive lineman in the third, fourth, fifth round, he's not going to play. He's not ready to play in the NFL against grown-ass men. That's why I like free agent offensive linemen, guys who have proven they can play in the league. Go trade for them. Go get them in free agency. Find the players that 
possibly are in a contract year, overpay for them because they're proven. You do it in the draft. Look, I'm all for taking a high first or second or fifth player in the draft being on the offensive line. I don't have a problem with that. But after that, if you don't get your guy, go through another team who helped develop that player and bring him over and get more out of him. Uh, offensive linemen in this draft, there'll be a run on them between 7 and maybe 20. But the wide receivers are the story here, and many people have told me so far they don't like the quarterbacks in this draft, but if you need one, you got to go get them. Carolina, is ever since Cam Newton took him to the Super Bowl as an MVP, they have been snake bit at that position. Sam Darnold and possibly trading up now to get a quarterback like Kenny Pickett because they're desperate to get one. Very surprised that they didn't overspend to go get someone, even a Kirk Cousins, Jimmy Garoppolo, whoever the player was going to be. I just thought Carolina needs to hit on the quarterback now instead of reaching on one of these players in the draft. Reaching in the draft will come back to haunt you, especially for a quarterback, especially for a quarterback. Reaching, and again, I don't think Henry Ruggs was a reach. It hurt the Raiders, hurt him big. I don't think that was a reach. They, they knew what they did. They wanted him. They were sold on him for a number of reasons. The reach was the cornerback out of Ohio State. That was a disaster. That was a reach. You can't do that. You can't reach. Leatherwood, no doubt was a reach. We all admit that. But a very good player. He won the Outland Award. <laughs> the Outland Award in a national championship. You can't say he was a big reach. But would he have went later with every other team? Yeah, he would have. But the Raiders thought that that was a need they had to have, and they agreed on that, and they went there. Not all of them agreed on it, but they did it. You can't reach. Get the best player available. Damon Arnett was a disaster. Such a bad pick. But we praise Mike Mayock for Hunter Renfro and Mad Max Crosby and some other really good picks that were here. GMs are going to have good days and bad days in their career, especially if they've been doing this a long time. Bill Belichick had some bad days where they drafted players that didn't turn out well. And he's the greatest coach of all time. It's tough to nail a draft. We've been talking about it with our draft picks over from the 60s, 70s, 80s. We're in the 90s now. And how Mr. Davis did it. Mr. Davis had drafts. Al Davis had drafts where four or five players were great elite pro bowlers and Hall of Famers in the same class. Remarkable. And then there were some recent drafts at the end of his life that weren't as good. And he tried to go out in free agency and get better players so he could make one more run. Raiders are doing it their way now with Ziegler and McDaniels coming in with the Patriots way out west. And so far it looks really good. Thanks again to Brad Spielberger. He's a sharp guy. Appreciate we can get them on. 702-365-9200 if you want to get in. If not, I got the show covered. I got it all. Put it on my back and we'll get you home. More on the Lakers and their disastrous season and what they're saying on the inside of the organization next. Frank, right at the end of the game, Adrian Wojnarowski tweeted that um, the Lakers are going to be firing you, a decision they'll let you know tomorrow. Have you communicated with the front office at all about your future? And I guess what's your reaction to, to hearing that? Uh, my reaction is uh, I haven't been told I'm going to enjoy tonight's game and what our guys did tonight and the way we finished out this season. I'm proud of our guys tonight. JT, busy day today as we continue on Raider Nation Radio. 
9.20 a.m. Brought to you by our good friends at Remy Martin with the draft here. The whole city is going to be packed. Remember, you walk into a restaurant, a club, a nightclub, try the Remy Martin sidecar. Remember, Remy Martin, raise your cocktail game as we get ready for the NFL draft. So I'm going to be a bit of a hypocrite today. I'm going to be a bit of a hypocrite. We talked to George Sedano earlier. I'm going to stay with the Lakers, and I want to stay with the Lakers today because as I tweeted out earlier, there was more Laker coverage today, this morning, than at any point this season. The Lakers had their exit meetings yesterday, and all the players are being criticized hard, rightfully so. But it's also low-hanging fruit, and it's going to run away because we have the NBA playoffs tonight. So I want to start with Rob Palenka, the GM of that team, Kobe's former agent. And I think he's run this roster into the ground. And I think he's due to get fired. He's got to be on the hot seat with only one more year after this. So he spoke to the media after what happened last night, the last night that they had, excuse me, two nights ago for Frank Vogel in his last game. And then he met the media to talk about the official firing of the head coach of the Lakers. A little bit earlier today, I had a chance to get with uh, Frank Vogel upstairs in a meeting and just let him know that it was a point in the Lakers history where we felt like it was time for a change in our leadership voice. But Frank was grateful for the opportunity he had. And we had a conversation about how this is just an inflection point where he goes from being the the leader of the Lakers to part of our legacy and especially our championship legacy. That's nice to say. I think that's what you want to say. I'm not going to be critical of Palenka for doing that. We knew Frank Vogel was going to get fired. I thought he should have got fired during the season. If the Lakers were interested in making a playoff run, they were not, and they took the high road on this decision. Palenka was asked about the direction of the new head coach eventually when they hire him. I want to make sure that no part of that is a knock or disparagement towards Frank. But in terms of what this team needs right now, we feel like with, obviously, superstars on our team, a strong voice that's able to inspire the players to play at the highest level of competition every night. And I think that's going to be one of the resounding qualities that we look for in terms of holding everybody from the top player on our team to the 15th man to a degree of of accountability. This could be a football team, right? We went through a coaching change here in Vegas. This could be a press conference for a GM that was able to keep his job firing a head football coach. Wasn't the case in Vegas. Both Mike Mayock was gone. And, you know, Rich Passaccia was gone at the end of the year as the Raiders went in a different direction. You know, we'll get to Russell Westbrook coming up in a moment. He was, he was pointing fingers. And there's a lot of finger pointing going on. Rob Palenka didn't want to do that as the leader of the franchise as he builds the next roster. Today's not going to be a, a day of, like, finger pointing or unwinding all the specific reasons. We just felt organizationally at the highest level it was time for a new voice. Those decisions are made at the very top level in a collaborative way by our basketball operations department and ultimately with Jeannie and and Tim and the leaders of our organization. We just felt like it was time for a new voice. And that's not to um, say anything against the incredible accomplishments that Frank Vogel's had. He was a great coach here and he's going to go on to be a great coach somewhere else. A lot of people are trying to figure out what's Rob Palenka's relationship with Agent Wojnarowski of ESPN because Woj, that was a big topic yesterday, the second, I mean the second the Lakers lost, he basically said Vogel was getting fired because he wanted to be first. Rob Palenka was asked about the timing of that and the sources and ESPN and how they did that to the head coach. Isn't it kind of embarrassing, though, the fact that, I mean, this was kind of out there. I mean, that is 
in theory, how he learned about that he, the fact that he was like losing his job. I think a lot of people kind of looking at this from the outside are thinking, right? I mean, whatever you think of the job that he did, that he deserved, you know, to kind of hear it first from you, right, rather than hear it, hear about it on Twitter. He factually heard about our decision in an in-person meeting for me this morning. Great way to answer that. So I'm bullish on the way, at least how Rob Palenka handled that press conference. The way he handled that press conference yesterday was we're not going to play into rumors. He got let go because I sat down in front of him and let him go. So LeBron's getting a ton of heat today, and he should. LeBron deserves to get a ton of heat. He's a polarizing athlete. He's one of the greatest basketball players of all time. And as we talked about all year, LeBron had everything to do with building this roster that failed. And he couldn't believe it, and now they have to fix it, and LeBron knows they have to rebuild the roster with players going forward that can win. I mean, it's human nature to automatically start thinking about the roster and what it could look like and, and how we could have a roster that brings in more wins. I mean, that's the, that's the most important thing. That's the job that we're in. So um, I've started to think about it a little bit, but, you know, it's not, you know, sorely on me, obviously. Um, but we definitely want to be better. We want to be better coming into the next year. That's the most important thing for the summer. This next uh, soundbite is very important because Frank Vogel won a championship and LeBron's only championship in L.A. as a Laker. So you'd think they'd have a lot of respect for each other as they both won that ring together. What comes to mind about your tenure here with Frank? Well, I don't want to speak about what's been talked about and things of that nature because I don't never get involved in those things. But I respect uh, Frank as a coach, you know, as a man, and our in our partnership that we've had over a few years here has been nothing but uh, but just candid, great conversations. And he's uh, a guy who gives everything to the game, uh, prepared us um, every single night along with his coaching staff as well. You got to give those guys a lot of credit too, but. You know, at the end of the day, I don't know what's going to happen, you know, with Frank and being here, but, you know, I got nothing but respect for him. It's very important going forward for LeBron because his entire career, he's always had the ability to sign a longer-term deal, correct? He could either leave Cleveland and go to Miami, could have stayed in Miami, signed an extension. You know, LeBron moves and goes back to Cleveland, and he has an opportunity to stay with the Lakers in this summer, sign an extension if he wants to. He was asked about that. Well, the conversation uh, hasn't been talked about or technically because of the collective bargaining agreement cannot even be discussed um, until later on in the year. So, you know, I, I know it's out there, but we can't even, myself and Rich can't even begin to talk with Rob or the front office at all because of uh, the collective bargaining agreement. So when we get to that point, uh, we'll, we'll see. I thought the most important question asked to LeBron yesterday was about Russell Westbrook because Russell didn't play well. LeBron wanted him there. LeBron signed off on it. LeBron's the reason why that deal happened. Good that the media asked him about his relationship and going forward with Russell Westbrook. What did you expect from the Russ partnership that did not materialize? Also, do you feel like that is something that you guys can do again? Like, Can, can you, Russ and LeBron, be, be the centerpiece of this team next year and be a championship contender? I don't put any expectations on, on anything. I mean, it's all about coming in, putting in the work, and um, and, and, and go from there. I mean, um, one thing about Russ that I love and, and will always love is, you know, just his competitive spirit, what he brings to the game every single night. And when you're in a profession where so many injuries happen and so many things go on, and to have a guy that's reliable and can put on a uniform every single night, that's something I respect, you know, out of everything. And, you know, I'm not going to sit here and make decisions for the front office and things of that nature, but you know, I love being a teammate with Russ and, you know, that's just the way it is. 
I think it's really important going forward for LeBron, for all of us to figure out if he has an exit strategy. Didn't we do this with Aaron Rodgers? Wasn't that the whole point of what we dealt with last year with Aaron Rodgers with the yoga cleanse and going to Maui and disappearing with his then fiance? Is he going to come back to Green Bay? Was he going to force his way out? See, Aaron Rodgers stayed in Green Bay because it was the easiest road to the playoffs and an opportunity to win more games, and he did. He won a lot of games as the one seed and won the MVP. LeBron doesn't have that luxury in L.A. If he comes back, he wants to win, but is his best chance to win realistically going to be L.A.? Well, I came here to win a championship, and I want to win more. So I accomplished what I wanted to accomplish, but I'm still hungry for more. So, you know, and I'm confident that this organization wants the same. It's what this organization has always been about. And, um, you know, I also wanted just to change the narrative, you know, of how this franchise can compete at a high level again. You know, if they'd done decade and decade and decade and decades uh, of winning. So, but yeah, when I signed here, um, you know, when Magic was here and, you know, and Rob was here, obviously, Rob's still here. I told him that I want to, you know, help this franchise be a champion once again. So I've done that. We've done that. But I want to do it again. We know that LeBron James can still play. Look what he did, 30 points this year, averaging. Had a big year when he was healthy, but he's starting to break down. And the big question for LeBron going forward on the back, back, back end of his career is how much longer he can play at a high level. You've made it clear that you wanted to stay in the league until your son comes up. <laughs> how much longer do you think you can maintain this level? Of I mean, it's up to my health. It's up to my spirit. It's up to my uh, motivation. You know, the great thing for me is uh, I get an opportunity now to be around my boys and watch those guys through their AAU tournaments and their summer ball. And that for the last five years has motivated me to come back. I don't have a cap on long I want to play. I don't want to say this or that. Uh, my wife doesn't want to hear that. If it's longer than a certain amount of years, I can still produce at a high level as I showed this year. One more from LeBron on why it didn't work with Anthony Davis and Russell Westbrook. That was his choice to go get Anthony Davis early. Remember, they got him early out of New Orleans. That was ugly in New Orleans. Anthony Davis won a ring. So they do have a ring together, which is super successful. It didn't work out this year. And it looks like Russell Westbrook will be gone quickly because they didn't gel together. The areas where I saw that we could complement one another is Russ being, you know, the push guard that he is, being able to create tempo, me being the wing threat, getting on running, and AD being a lob threat. I thought we could be very successful in that. And also with our, our length and defensive prowess too, we could be really good. I mean, at the end of the day, the reason why we were not very good together because we wasn't on the damn floor together. That is the number one thing. I don't know. You guys know. How many games did we play together? 21. Played 21 games. That's a fourth of a season, less than a fourth of a season. So I play, I play more games with my high school teammates in the season. We only played 27 games. All right? So there it is. All right. So there we go. I, I apologize for those who want to have – Football talk when basketball talk's bigger. It's a lot bigger. Just turn on your TV today. What, what's going on with the Lakers is enormous. This is a Laker town, and there's not going to be a much, much Laker talk with the playoffs. Starting tonight with the play-in games, a shame that Russell Westbrook, this was not a good look for him at the press conference yesterday. He was pointing fingers. He doesn't get it. He's deteriorating as a basketball player. That's tough to watch. And uh, the media went pretty hard on him yesterday about the infighting, the fact that he didn't get along with the coach. He was pressed. Here's Russell Westbrook yesterday at his exit press conference. 
I don't want to get into details of what story, who wrote it, why. It is it's pointless. It doesn't really matter because it's not true. You know, if it doesn't come from me, I'm a very straight up person, as you guys know. You know, I, I will stand on anything that actually happens that don't happen. But unfortunately, throughout the season, the ability to be able to constantly create stories about myself and things that I may have or people thought I may have been doing, it, it can like jade people's perspective of me and like the outside fan or outside world. For me, it's frustrating, especially throughout the season that I have to keep fighting against all those made up narratives. That's not true. I don't like the way he handled that Russell didn't play well this year and he didn't like to coach. He wanted the ball all the time and he's just not good enough to handle the ball all the time because he's too erratic. And finally, one last one from Russell Westbrook, and this is where he's getting a lot of heat because he made over $40 million, and he played in a lot of games, and he's traveling, staying at the Four Seasons, multimillionaire, and he doesn't think he's being treated fairly. So when I first got here um, and just being, you know, um, a person that, uh, unfortunately, that people create narratives of me and who I am um, and what I do and what I believe in that are, you know, just not true, um, I'm always having to like prove myself again in the year after year after year, which is to me just unfair, and there's really no reason I have to do that. Um, so when I first got here, um, I just felt that I never was given a fair chance um, just to be who I needed to be to be able to help this team. Didn't get a fair chance. Do you believe he said that? Didn't get a fair chance with the money he's making, the Hall of Famers he's playing with, the fan base he gets to play for. Uh, I think he said that because he knows he's gone. He's going to get traded. Reports are Indiana might want him now. It's a salary dump move. Either way, he's played his last game as a Laker. And that's the way he wanted to go out so he could go out that way. So, again, I spent a lot of time, 10-plus minutes on the Lakers. We talked earlier about it. It's closure. It's a big topic. The NBA playoffs start tonight. Raiders are just meeting with their players saying hello, back slaps. Everybody's getting along great which is fantastic, and we have all of our alumni segments coming in as we look back, and we're in the 90s draft now for the rest of the week. We're excited about that. We're brought to you by Any Tires Plus. AnyTiresPlus.com is the website. 350 North Boulder Highway. You get complimentary road hazard protection for 24 months with the purchase of any new complete set of tires. This is a good time of year to get new tires. Weather's fantastic. It's going to get hot. We're going to bake like potatoes. It's going to feel like we're on Mars. Get your tires now. Just look at your tires, and if you see there's wear on them, and I always say that. I got a wife, and I got my sons. I want them driving safely. Any Tires Plus with Frank and his team will protect you and get you a great deal, and you probably need new tires. If you want to get any of their offers, just mention my name, JT, that I sent you there, and they give you the JT the Brick hookup which is the least I can do for you for listening to me. 702-365-9200. JT on a beautiful day here in Las Vegas on the flagship of the Silver and Black Raider Nation Radio. gives me uh, more time to just dissect the team, know what we did wrong in the previous game, especially games one. It's always been a fill-out game for me, so I'm looking forward to breaking down the, the film tonight and then as a team tomorrow and uh, even get some more um, on, on the day of the game, I believe, Tuesday, and uh, be ready for that, for that challenge again. 
Well, Bobby, you can erase all that. You know, if we don't have football highlights because we don't save them around here for some reason, we can get rid of all the LeBron stuff. Never understood that. JT back with you as we continue. Good show today. Thanks to George Sedano, who was fantastic on the Lakers. I know we did a lot of Lakers today. That's what today ordered. Brad Spielberger was really good. Jeff Sherman from the Westgate as he recapped the Masters and looked ahead. Uh, The big story today is the shooting in Brooklyn in the subway. There's a game there tonight. We don't care about the game. We care about the people that were injured and the people that are fighting for their lives. That's the story today. The Nets are shocked and devastated by this. So this is a big deal because they're playing a game less than a half a mile away from the 36th Street Station where the shootings took place. And you could tell that I I thought today, I watched it twice, and we didn't have the sound, but Kevin Durant was rattled. He was rattled by it. He said he initially started hearing about what happened through text from the team, but no one knew initially how bad the situation was. Quote, they sent us a text saying there might be some traffic, but I don't know why. And then you look through your phone and you see stuff. I hate violence. I hate senseless violence. Hopefully we can figure out the details and get everybody to safety and get everybody the help they need, but it's a tough situation right now. So when they got to the facility, Durant and his teammates Started to learn more about what happened there. There were ambulance, police cars everywhere. And you could tell that Durant was rattled, and I'm sure his teammates are. Steve Nash, the head coach, said he didn't find out about the tragedy until right about the time the walkthrough began. And the details weren't even clear. From Steve Nash, quote, we're devastated for the community and for those directly involved. I don't know a lot about the details. I don't want to go too far. But they're going to try hard tonight, and they're going to prepare and focus to play in this game. So we got these elimination games coming up here. The higher seed has two chances to lose. But, look, I look at these these playing games. I don't support them. I just support one team, the eighth seed playing. If you look at the ninth seed playing the eighth seed, I could live with that. But you go seven to ten, it's too much for me. It's too much. We're just trying to get everybody into the playoffs. Lakers couldn't even get in. And if Brooklyn loses, the internet's going to break. Because if you don't have Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Russell Westbrook in the playoffs, you, Carmelo Anthony, these are people who lived their whole career in the playoffs. It's going to hurt the league. It's going to hurt ratings. We all know that. And the NBA playoffs do a great job in the playoffs. They're terrible, terrible in the regular season. They're fantastic in the postseason. I didn't get a chance to dive deep into what's going on with Deshaun Watson, but the way his contract was initially negotiated for that $240 million guaranteed, they're looking into that now. And it looks like that money will be guaranteed, but a suspension could be coming if he doesn't clear every one of those individual cases when it comes to individual cases in civil court. He's got his handful going forward, and it's not going to end anytime soon. And Dean Blandino, who we've had on this show, from Fox, returns to the XFL as VP of officiating and player rules. It's a big hire for the XFL. He has an expanded role as a vice president. The league announced that today. He also served as the XFL's officiating chief in 2020, following that stint with the AAF. Look, they're giving you two football leagues now, everybody, to watch. If you're a Raider fan, I don't know why you're not watching it. XFL is going to come next year. USFL is underway. Good quality football. And they're going to change the way we watch the game with some initiatives that will play out in the NFL. Bobby, thanks for hosting the show or producing it and doing what you do. 
We'll be back here tomorrow. We have Bill Williamson, Raiders insider. Chris Matthews from 8 News Now. And a Raider alumni that I will tweet out tomorrow morning who was drafted at some point in the 90s. Q's coming up next. Also, Vinny's on this channel. Our great lineup. We're thrilled to be here the month of the draft. It's great to have a flagship radio station the month of the draft in Vegas. Have a great day, everybody. I'll see you back here tomorrow, tonight on Sirius XM, 7 p.m. Channel 82.